Well, I learned very early in life that I cannot follow all of my own initial kind of natural appetites and thoughts and feelings and inclinations. The stuff that I thought really, hey, I feel this way, my friends feel this way, other guys feel this way, and we just get to kind of, no, we don't. We are not free as human beings to kind of act on whatever comes our way, right? Have you ever noticed that if you acted upon every desire that you had, every thought that you had, everything you felt like saying to somebody, if you live that way, what a catastrophe. What if, what if you said everything that flew through your brain came out your mouth? Oh, Lord, help us. What if a group of humans, maybe your spouse, had the ability to read your mind, oh Lord. <laughs> right? Right? You see, society, the society that we live in is trying to convince itself of something that nobody believes. See, because society is trying to convince us that if something is natural to us, there, then it is good. In other words, society is trying to develop a criteria for morals, moral rights and duties, moral goods and bads, morals, oughts and shoulds and shouldn'ts. We're trying to build a criteria that is based upon our natural, authentic self. We say things in our culture today such as, I'm just trying to live my truth. I'm trying to follow my own narrative. I'm trying to be an authentic person. I want to be who I am. And we take what we feel and what we think and what we like and what we don't like. We take our appetites and our inclinations and we take those and we say, whatever comes natural to me, I'm going to live that out. Now, we're trying to convince ourselves as a society that that's okay when we all know that it's not. So society knows something, wants something else, and so literally we live in a society that is trying to convince itself of what it knows to be a lie. Because you and I know that any relationship that you have, any career path that you're going to walk down, any neighborhood that you're going to live in, any just trying to put up with yourself, achieve goals and initiatives that are placed before you, you know and I know, we know that we cannot do everything that we feel like doing. And we know that there are certain things about our character that we need to grow out of and get free from. We know. We know that we are naturally selfish. We know that. But we start to learn early on, hopefully maybe in a children's church or, or in your own home, that selfishness is just not the way to live. We know that. But yet we live in a society, and I hear it all the time, in the church well they're just being them well if that's the way you feel and if that's who you think you are then I guess God made you that way that is a very massive bridge to cross to say that because I have something that is natural to me then I'm going to assume God made me that way that's a false assumption and nobody in your life my wife would not stay married to me if I said honey it's natural to me to want to be in relation with many women. And if it's natural to me, God must have created me that way. 
So God created me to be a polygamist. And honey, you have to put up with that. Um, no. 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 But yet we hear it all the time. In fact, you may be saying that. You may be saying to yourself, well, this is me, so everybody around me has to accept me. You may be saying that about some things in your life. I want to preach this sermon from a position that is more practical than theological. Because there's a lot of theology that's behind what I'm going to share with you over the next several weeks. But I want to talk more in terms of practicality. And I've written an introduction to this sermon for those of you that want to dive a little bit deeper. And there's a few copies at the back table as you exit to your right. Because if you really want to kind of dive into what I'm saying to you, there's a lot of theology, there's a lot of philosophy that goes along with what I'm going to share with you over the next few weeks. And if you want that in written form, it's there, it's one page, it's a few paragraphs that'll probably give you a little deeper understanding of kind of where we're going over the next few weeks. But for today, this sermon number one, Rise Raised Above Nature, I want to challenge you to seek God in such a way that will allow Him to rise you above your natural desires and inclinations. That if you feel trapped by something that's going on inside of you, that if you feel trapped by something that just seems to be a part of who you are by nature, maybe for years you've been trying to get through something, or you've been trying to overcome something, or you've been trying to grow out of something, I'm going to challenge you to begin to approach God in such a way that is within full surrender to His power and His infilling of the Holy Spirit so that He may raise you above your natural inclinations and appetites. Because I think in a society that's trying to tell itself a lie, I think that the lie becomes wearisome and the lie becomes very hard to live with in your own home. That it might sound nice on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. It might sound nice broadcast all over the news media. But when you come into your own home and you try to live in your own skin, that lie falls short of bringing you peace and joy and contentment and a vital life. And I think we know better because God has put within us each a moral center. It's part of us being created in the image of God that you and I have this kind of seeking after justice, this seeking after truth, this seeking after love and appropriateness, that as a society we, we try to seek this out, as individuals we try to seek this out, but yet we live by and large in a culture that has removed God from that and this kind of left humanity to itself. And when you look across history, you discover, or even just in the mirror, you discover that humanity has a very, very difficult time self-managing. In fact, self-management is impossible within humanity because throughout our history, we keep ending up in wars. We keep ending up in division. We keep ending up with rising anxiety and rising depression. And we can't seem to get ourselves to a place where we can live peaceably with one another and at peace in our own skin. So we create these sayings such as live your authentic truth, live your own inclinations, be the real you, be who you are and everybody because we're trying to get comfortable in our own skin. And so many times when we're trying to get comfortable in our own skin, we try to create a lie because the truth is too painful. 
And so, we have this one overall thought today. God raises us above our natural inclinations to do good works. Just set that, let that settle in for a moment. Whatever's going on inside of you today that you just say, I can't live like this anymore. I can do this. This is robbing me of my peace. This is robbing me of my relationships. It's creating a life situation that is unlivable for me, and I, I can't do this. And I've tried to do better. I've tried to correct myself. I've tried to then just accept it and say, this is just who I am, but, but I can't quite get comfortable in my own skin. If that's you this morning, if there's something going on in your life that makes you feel that way, I want to invite you to start pursuing God in this way, in a way that causes Him to move in your life in the power of His Holy Spirit and to raise you above your natural inclinations to do good works. Now, at the outset or right here at this transitional point in the message, I must tell you that the desire and the inclination is present in this world and in our current state as humans, and those desires, those temptations will always be there, part of the human experience. That you and I have things going on in our lives. We will always have to filter what goes through our brain and out of our mouth, right? People that don't have that kind of filter they end up in a lot of trouble, right? So there'll be things that you have to deal with this side of heaven that are part of our experience as human beings living in a fallen world, that there will be always be things in your life that you're going to go, I want to do this, now I better not because that's not a good idea, that's, that, that's wrong, that's morally wrong, it's spiritually wrong, it's relationally wrong, it's wrong for my health. You know, after all, we love to eat donuts and we know they're bad. It, it, we, we know, but we eat them. And I know, as I reach for a donut, I go, as soon as I eat that, I'm going to get a stomachache. Because stomach, donuts, just stomachache. Yeah, stomachache will go away. Yeah, you know. Now in Ephesians chapter 2. This first point that I want to make to you that comes from verses 1 through 3. Again, speaking in a more practical way than theological, but yet my practice come out of my theology. Hope that makes sense. First issue. Natural is not a criterion, or can we form a set of criteria out of it for good? I also need to add to that that because it's natural doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. Because something that is natural to you could be good. <laughs> something that is natural to you could be bad. And if you're a human, you and I have these individual kind of mixes with that, right? Because some things that come naturally to me, they're, they're really good. Some things that come naturally, no. What I'm saying in this statement is natural or our nature is not a criterion for doing good. I cannot say just because it is natural, therefore it is good. That, that is a false statement. You cannot live life that way, and we all know it. How do we come to this conclusion? Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, You were, notice past tense, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived with the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he's talking to a group of Christians, and he's reminding these Christians, hey, you know what's going on in the world? You know what's going on in society? You once lived like that. (laughs) You were once part of that. So when you look out across the landscape of your culture and you say, I don't like that, I don't like that, and I hate that, and what wide world is going on over there? Hey, you, as a Christian, were once part of all that. And what is all that? What is going on in the world? That's a wonderful question. A question that social media and news is not going to answer for you. But you have a very clear answer of what's going on in the world that has always been going on in the world ever since the fall of mankind. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Before we come to Christ, the natural state of the human is dead in trespasses and sin. Your spirit is dead. You're like a three-legged stool with two legs. You have a body and a mind, but your spirit is dead. And a three-legged stool with two legs isn't working too well. We can kind of keep things up in order. We can kind of be there. But picture our world. Those that are outside of a relationship with Christ, because they have not been born again, they have not been born spiritually, they have a body and a mind, and they're doing their best to figure it out, but their spirit is dead because of sin. Verse number two, in which you once walked following the course of this world. So if you're dead inside, if your spirit is dead and you have a body and you have a mind, you only have one choice. You're going to follow what's around you. You're going to follow what people are doing. You're going to let the masses decide what's right and wrong. And that's where we are today. Because we talk like this. Oh, in the 50s that was wrong, but not anymore. What? Wait. Well, people's opinions have changed. Why have people's opinions have changed? Not to get too technical with you, but people's opinions change over time because an atheistic or a humanistic definition of truth or criteria for truth, criteria for morals, right, rights, and wrongs, is human flourishing. So if you ask a non-Christian, you ask an atheist, you ask a humanist, you ask a person who has no religious background at all, what or how can we determine what is good or bad for us? Human flourishing. The problem with human flourishing is nobody agrees on what it is. Because what, what might make your life flourish might harm someone else. And we're constantly bumping into one another. Because this group would be really happy if we did this, if this law was in place. This group would be happy. But wait a minute. As soon as you put that law in place to bless that person, the group over here now is at a disadvantage. And what do we do for that group? Well, let's create another rule and a law to try to even things out for them. But, but now you're bumping up against them again. I know. And we're just in a mess. Because every time we try to help one group, we hurt another. Hmm. Every time we try to even the playing field, we lessen it for someone. And so we're in this place because we don't quite know. And the best that atheists or humanists can do with this idea of flourishing is what helps the most people in the most ways. Huh. That's the best they've got. What helps the most people in the best ways? And if you happen to be part of a group that's not the most people in the most ways, well, it sucks to be you. 
you're just kind of out in the cold. But then we create special kind of things for maybe that little group that you're a part of. And we're running around trying to figure this out because we have a very poor criteria for moral rights and duties, moral good and bad. Because we're running around like a two-legged stool, or a three-legged stool with two legs. Our spirit is dead. And we just follow the course of the world. But then an even bigger problem, because really, really, who is leading the world? And we mean the world in this tense, we mean those outside of God, those outside of a relationship with God. Paul says that the problem gets worse, because it's not just people, it's the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now alive in the, in the sons of disobedience, a.k.a. Satan. So, <laughs> wait a minute. So you're telling me, Pastor, this morning, that there is this option that I either follow God and let, allow Him to bring my spirit to life to where I have a spirit, a mind, and a body all functioning by, led the, by the leading of the Spirit as empowered and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> but you're telling me if I don't do that, then I'm following the dictates of the world, that really the power and the influence behind the world is the devil himself. Yes, now, you, now you're learning. Isn't that great? That's what I'm telling you. Because in the grand scheme of things, you really are, as much as people want to make fun of it today, you really are, and I really are, we are really making a choice. Am I going to follow God, the creator of this world? Or am I going to follow Satan? Which one? Because you and I know, we're not just following ourselves. You know you don't. You are constantly thinking about what other people think of you. You do not get up in the morning and put on whatever you want. You think about what others might think of you if you wear that. Yes, and when my son wears black sandals with big white high socks, I go, well, okay, dude, whatever. His dad's socks, I guess. 27 years old, father of three, I guess he could wear whatever he wants. His poor wife has to look at him, but so be it. I, on the other hand, have polka-dotted socks on. But yes, they're blue, and some people say blue doesn't go with black. I don't know. But you see, I think about these things. Because we all think about these things. Because we're not just following ourselves. We are following someone. And we are either following God, infused with the power of his Holy Spirit, or we are following the masses that are influenced by Satan. Then he goes on. Among them, we all once lived. So hey, let's not, let's not say them over there. It, it's all of us. Then he says, the problem was with this, we lived in the passions of our own flesh. It came natural to me, I'm going to do it. Carrying out the desires of the body. I felt like doing it, I'm going to do it. The desires of the mind. Thought it was a good idea, so I did it. And that landed us by nature, by following what naturally comes to us, put us as enemies of God, positioned under the wrath of God because he's holy and we're not. So we follow that way. We land under the wrath of God. But then, but then God doesn't leave us there. As we draw another truth from verses 4 through 7, we begin to discover that God does not leave us in our naturally sinful state, but raises us up with Jesus by his mercy, love, and grace. 
Notice, if you will, by looking at your own Bibles and marking and circling and putting stuff in the margin because this is your Bible. (laughs) Verse 4, but God, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So he says, here you are in your natural state, doing whatever your mind thinks, doing whatever your body calls you to do, following the masses, which is really influenced by Satan, and you find yourself under the wrath of God. But God says, I'm not going to leave you in that state. I'm not going to leave you under the position of my wrath. I'm not going to leave you in this position where you're just going to follow your own mind, follow your own body, follow the crowds. No, you're not going to live like that because I'm going to move in your life in grace and in mercy, and I'm going to rise you above that. And you are going to live a life that is raised above your natural inclinations and feelings. Are they still going to be there? You bet. You bet they are. Are you always going to be tempted to lie? Always. Are you always going to be tempted to be selfish? Every day. Are you going to have sexually impure thoughts to the day you die? It's part of the human experience. But the trap that we fall in when we read passages like this, we say to ourselves, well, if, God, if I want this, God must have made me like this. No. Corrected by that passage. Well, if God didn't want me to do it, he wouldn't make me want it. Um, No, I always want donuts. And if I want donuts, God must want me to have one. I'll have 12. No, I'll go 14. Baker's dozen, thank you. I love Baker's dozen. It's way better than any other dozen ever. Whoever decided to create that dozen is awesome. But they don't care about my stomach. And we have got to stop this notion of if it's natural, it's good. It might be. And then again, it might not be. You might just be naturally gifted in some very wonderful ways. Then go with it. But then you might be a little bit sideways naturally with some others. Don't follow those. See, and you know this. Every single day, you are deciding whether or not I want to do this. Should I? No, so I'm not. Oh, I want to do this. Should I? No, but I'm going to anyway. And then you reap the consequences. Every day we're dealing with this. And for the rest of your human experience on the face of this planet, pre the arrival of Jesus, you will want to do things that you shouldn't do. And sometimes in society, we take some of those and we like to make them better or worse. That's why I can joke about donuts. That's okay. That's, you know. But if I was joking about some other things, some of you people cringed when I said, you're going to have sexually impure thoughts until the day you die. I know you cringed, and I know you went and go, ooh, pastors. Sorry, human. Just because you stand on a stage and do this doesn't mean that somehow you have arrived at some sort of place where you are no longer tempted and like everybody else is. In fact, some, some, newsflash, some, believe that once you stand up here and do this, you get a big fat target on your back and Satan goes, okay, here, then have that. No, no. 
We'll let God and Jesus deal with that. But we do not live but when naturally we want to go out and do. We simply don't do that. And God does not leave us in that. Nor does he destroy us because of it. But he helps us to rise above it. The third point as we begin to look at verses 8 and 9, say this. God saves us from our naturally sinful state, making us his workmanship for good works that he prepared before us. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that last part of verse 10 is what I can call a good like handle on this whole moral thing. So if I have this natural desire and I want to go, hmm, I wonder if this is good or not. I mean, some things you just know are bad. Some things you just know are good. But there's those things, right? Well, should I or shouldn't I? Well, I, don't, I don't know. Well, here's the criteria. Ask yourself this question and pray this prayer. Is what you want to do and what you think you should do, is that part of God's plan and what he has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them? Is it part of that? In other words, almost 32 years ago when I was going to marry Susan, I have to say, okay, marrying Susan, hmm, seems like a really good idea to me. How do I convince her? No, that's not the question. Though that's what I was trying to do. The real question was, is marrying Susan part of God's work that he had prepared beforehand that I should walk in? That's the question. God, this thing before me that I either naturally want to do or naturally do not want to do, the question is, is this something that you have prepared beforehand that I should walk in? That's the question. It's always the question. Because naturally, sometimes I want to do the right thing. And we have passages such as this, that God gives you the desires of your heart. Yes, there's passages like that. But there are also times when Jesus pops up on the scene and he goes, oh man, <laughs> the heart of man is extremely wicked. Who can know what's going on? So in the Bible you have, hey, that's the desire of your heart. God wants to give you that, amen. On the other hand, your heart is wicked. How do I know? Because if my heart is wicked, I'm going to think some things are good when they're really not. And I'm going to think some things are bad when no, 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 they're really good. That grilled asparagus, you should eat that. Yeah, it makes your pee smell funny. Yeah, well, whatever. Get over it. You know, you say things up here. Because this is a tense crowd. And sometimes I just have to say that your pee smells funny so that you guys will relax a little bit. And you all, see, all of you that don't eat your vegetables are like, what does he mean? Eat some asparagus, go pee. Whew, that's weird. You'll be all right. So what's the challenge then? The challenge then becomes for you and I to live a life that is unnatural. Wait a minute, Pastor. The whole world is telling me to just go with it. I know. But if you want what the whole world has, do what the whole world does. So if you want division, strife, anxiety, depression, addiction, anxiety, if you want all that, go for it. If you want a stomach ache, eat the donuts. Have a great time. Don't let me stand in your way. 
but don't come complaining to me and God when you have a problem in your life because you've ignored the Scriptures. And when you get the anxiety and the pain and the strife and the destroyed marriage and the destroyed family and the ruined career, sorry, you followed what the world told you to do. You just followed your natural inclination. You got mad at your boss and your first words were to your boss. I'm not going to say those words. Those words I don't say. But you said them to your boss and now you're fired. And now you're getting nothing. So how do we do that? Very quickly as I sew this up, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that kind of helps you to see this. And we're going to move very quickly through it and you're probably going to have to uh, go back and look at this at home. But Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, it kind of help us kind of get our bearings around this thing. And so let's see if I've set it up correctly. I, that kind of makes sense, right? So let's just read these. I'll read through them and, and we'll go fast. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes to the Romans, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Eh, but I naturally desire what's bad for me. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. No, we want to seek honor for ourselves. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. No, we naturally want to serve ourselves. Get in the picture. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. We naturally are impatient in tribulation. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. No, we want to seek our own needs first. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. No, we want to bless those who, not bless those who persecute us. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We naturally avoid people who struggle until we struggle and then we love misery, loves company, and we just kind of sit in it. Verse 11, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. No, we're naturally arrogant and want others to think our way. Starting in verse 17, repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live in peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Naturally, we want revenge. <laughs> right? So that's where we find ourselves today. That's where we find ourselves. And so what we need to do for each other as a church family is we need to pray this. May we hold each other accountable to living unnatural lives. I need you to do that for me. And I think you need me to do that for you. And I think, because the world keeps going in the wrong direction, that if we can gather as a church family and hold each other accountable as we spend time with one another, as we worship together, as we study together, as we serve together, that we would always be holding each other accountable to live above what comes natural. Naturally, we get discouraged. Naturally, we get frustrated. Naturally, we want to give up. Naturally, we're selfish. And we need each other to hold each other accountable 
and to begin to go back and to say, I'm not going to live by this lie that what comes natural to me is actually good. I'm going to take what comes naturally to me. I'm going to take it to the word of the Lord. And I'm going to say, Lord, this is, comes natural to me. Is this one of those where you're going to say, I'm gonna, you're going to give me the desires of your heart? Is this one of those times? Or is this one of those other times where I would be more in line with Jesus saying, ah, your heart is kind of wicked. We're not doing that. So which is it, God? Get into the word. Seek God in prayer. And allow the word of God to become your only criteria for good.